open up the scriptures. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to the truth that you have for us this morning. And so, God, we pray that you would silence all of the distractions in our lives so that we would be fully present to you here. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, on this Valentine's Sabbath, usually we have sermons about love. But I figured, what better time to talk about our enemies, or rather, you as the enemy. Because in church, we always talk about how somebody else is our enemy, but very rarely will we see ourselves as the enemy, right? right? I did it a few weeks ago through Psalm 23, verse 5, that God sets a table in front of us before our enemies. And so what did I say? I had a whole sermon about how other people are our enemies. And what happens over time, I think, is that we, we begin to, to think everybody is our enemy, but we can do no wrong. So on this Valentine's Sabbath, I want to talk about being enemies. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open to the book of Romans. Now, we don't have a PowerPoint this morning, um, so, so if you need a Bible, there's one in front of you in the red um, hardcover. Romans chapter 8. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. And Paul writes, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us, and that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. Now, if you have a pencil and you mark in your Bible, I would encourage you to, write, uh, to underline verse 10. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. For while we were enemies. I want to break this down for you as best as I can. And so if we go back to the first verse, verse chapter 6, the word weak in the Greek carries this connotation of somebody who is unable or who is morally weak, or, or even think of somebody who is ill. Have you ever been ill and you feel so weak that you can't even get up out of bed? Now, I remember one time, now as, as you guys, most of you know my story, um, when I was a single man and I was sick, I did what most of us do, I stayed in bed, right? No dinner had to be cooked, no, nobody had to be driven anywhere, none of that stuff. So I got married, and I inherited three beautiful kids, and then I got sick one time last year, and I was feeling, you know when you're sick, you don't want to do anything? All the noise that's going on bothers you if you have a headache, if you have a runny nose, or if you have a fever, your flu, your body's weak, you just want to stay in bed. Well, this was before our 16-year-old had a car, and so I had to go this, on this particular day, it was my turn, to drive them around wherever they needed to go. 
And they needed to go somewhere like, I need to go to the mall. I don't know where it was. But I remember thinking to myself, I'm sick. I can barely walk. My throat is hurting. And you want to go where? I did it anyway because I'm tough. But this word weak, this idea, think of yourself as being so ill and weak that there is nothing that you can do. For while we were weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's important. See, the idea of the word ungodly is that you are someone other than God. That you and I stand in opposition to God's holiness. So at the right time, when you were unable to do anything, and we could say that as you are still unable to do anything to gain your salvation, Jesus dies for you, a sinner, an ungodly person, so that you might have life everlasting. God proves his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died. And to emphasize the point, Paul goes on to say, for if while we were enemies, it is while you were enemies of God that he reconciled you. That's the gospel. The fact that at some point you and I were enemies to God. Let me, let me, let me give you a, a, an analogy. And, and every analogy that we use about God will always fail, but we do the best that we can. So here's an example. When, um, when, a, when a young man likes a young woman, what does he do? He does everything he can to prove himself to her, right? Right? No? Some of you guys didn't have to work so hard. I know Bob had to work pretty hard. <laughs> I actually don't know that, but... <laughs> But the truth is, when we are interested in somebody, we will go through great lengths to show them that we actually like them and that we actually love them, even though it's not love yet, I understand that, but there's that essence, that sense of, I could really love this person, and so what do we do? Okay, we take them to dinners, to the nicest, fast, fanciest place that we could afford. We write them poetry, some write poetry. We write text messages, first thing in the morning, good morning, I hope you have a wonderful day. We write notes, we send flowers, we, whatever it takes, right? We will go broke if that's what it takes to prove ourselves. Now, I know a little bit about this because it took me three months, two months-ish, for Kim to even give me a chance, my wife now, whom I am in love with. But it took, and it wasn't that she, you know, she was playing hard to get. I think she just wasn't sure if she liked what she saw. I don't know. But I tried and I tried and I tried again until I believe, thanks to God, we not only began dating, but we eventually got married and we now hope to spend the rest of our lives together. But it took a lot of work. Gentlemen, you know this. I've, now, I've never had a lady pursue me, so I don't know how that works on the other end. But men, you know that you will stop at nothing to convince your love that you love them. And then we get them, and it all stops. No. And then we spend the rest of our lives trying to show them that we love them. 
but we prove our love by what we do, by what we say, by how we say things, by how we do things. We show our love because we are consistently proving and showing the people that we love that we love them by how we interact with them. And sometimes we don't always act godly, but every day we must go back to trying to show them that we love them unconditionally no matter what. And what we find in the Scriptures is that God does the same thing. It says that while we were enemies. Now think about this. How many of you gentlemen, and and ladies, I'm sorry, but you're a part of this equation because they're chasing you, but how many of you gentlemen liked the girl, but she didn't really like you back? What do we do? Do we walk away or do we try harder? Jonathan, do we try harder? Yeah, we try harder. Like if we just send one more note, if I send just one more gift, if I give just one more flower, if I, if, if I, you know, we, we, you know we, we go crazy. And we try and we try because we hope that they will see how we really feel. And if they see how we really feel, then maybe they will be moved to love us back. God does the same thing. While we were enemies, ungodly sinners, in some senses, while we were playing hard to get, God never stopped. God never quit. Instead, God, at that very precise moment, he lays his life, Jesus lays his life down so that he would give you the best gift of all, which is not just life eternal, but that eternal kind of life here today. God saw the worst of you. And he still valued you beyond all value. God saw the worst in us, and God still chooses to give us the gift of life. That says something about this, God. And what we will find in the Scriptures is that God wants us to be just like that. Once we were enemies to God... But if you are here, most of you, I believe, have given your life to Christ and have said, I want to live my life in a Christ-like way. I want to be more like Jesus so that I can make a bigger impact in this world. And so we go from being enemies to Christ, and, and he erases that, and he reconciles us. And so God says, you are no longer my enemy, even though you might, you should be. Now I want you to look at your enemies and love them back. An opposite way of saying this is, You are the enemy sometimes, and you never see it. Live in such a way where you are not the enemy. Because I reconciled you, live a reconciled life. So just to show you what what some of this might look like, um, I want to turn to the famous passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I'll read it. We hear it at weddings. We hear it all the time. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4 through 7. As I'm reading this, yeah, I don't even want you to go there. I want you just to listen to, the, to, me, to me read this, and I want you to think about this. Do these words describe how you love, okay? Do these words. This is interactive, okay? Don't shout anything out. Just process. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant 
or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. If you're anything like me, as we read this, we realize that probably more times than not, we're doing the opposite things that this is saying for us to do. If you're reading this with me, and you're honest, there may be some things in here where you realize, wow, I haven't been very loving. This morning, as we were driving here to church, the, um, you know, I was in the carpool lane. I shared this story with a few of you already. I was in the carpool lane, right? We're driving at the average speed that everybody does, 80 miles per hour on the drive through on the carpool, I'm sorry, carpool lane. I was, you know, going faster than all the other cars, not by a lot. I'm actually, 80 is very nervous for me, but my wife gets mad at me if I drive 65, so I drive 80. No, she does. <laughs> she just tells me that she'll drive next time. And, and so what's happening, so we're driving, you know, we're cruising along, and all of a sudden from like the horizon behind me, because I'm always looking back for police, you know, I'm always trying to be making sure that I'm doing everything right, I see this car just like hauling, you know, as fast as they can. I'm like, man, this guy better slow down. Like I'm already going 80, okay? I'm already feeling nervous as it is. And he came all the way up, and it was a he, all the way up, like a foot away from our bumper, and then he turns his light on like, hey. I'm like, in my mind, what do you want me to do? I'm in a carpool, and I'm not going to cross the double solid yellow line. I'm going as fast as I can go. I'm, we're driving way faster than all these other cars, and he just was like, he would just not move. Now, as we all do, I assessed the situation. I don't think he's carrying a gun. He doesn't look very dangerous. I think my car can outrun him if I have to. So my carnal nature takes over, and I was just like, you know, I don't like to flip people off. I don't think I have since before I was saved. I don't know. <laughs> but there was just something in me like, why are you, you know? Why? And I was angry. I kept it in, though. Right, hon? <laughs> But I was just like, man, I can just totally like slam on my brakes and teach this guy a lesson because what is he doing? But I realized, but if I do that, I'm going against what I prepared all week for. You see, I think we enter into some of these situations where it's easier for us when we're justified to be upset, to get mad at somebody, to tell them they're wrong. We feel justified because we think that we know it or we know better than they do, or we have some sort of information better, and yet that's arrogance, what this Bible verse tells us how not to be. It tells us to be kind. It tells us to be, I mean, I'll read it again. It, it would be patient and not envious and not boastful and kind, and we must not insist on our, on our own way, and we must not be irritable or resentful, and we must not rejoice in wrongdoing, and we must rejoice in truth. I mean, you know? And yet we feel quick to react. Now, praise God, I, I think I reacted okay this morning. A friend of ours taught us that 
when somebody's driving fast and crazy like that, their wife must be in the backseat going into labor, and he's trying to get them to the hospital. So I joked about that with Kim. We are to live as people who love well. We must live as though we have been forgiven. And yet sometimes, perhaps oftentimes, I don't know, we are the enemy to other people. We treat people badly. And the Scripture is calling us to live what I called a reconciled life. Now, really quickly, moving right along, if we look at the book of Galatians chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1, a letter written by Paul, Galatians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, and here's what it says. Paul says, grace to you, to, this, to the people in Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's pretty normal. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to set us free from, now usually the word is sin, right? Christ has set us free from sin, but here Paul does something pretty innovative. He says, Christ who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age. And I'm going to stop right there. You see, we think that Jesus dies just to rescue us out of this world and go and live somewhere for all eternity. But what Paul and what many of the Bible writers understood is that life, real life, doesn't start then. Real life starts when you have been encountered by the living God. And so what, what Paul says is he, God has set us free from the way of the world. And here's what I mean by that. It would have been very normal and natural for me to stick my finger out and wave at the guy, right, with only one finger. But, oh, yes, that's what I would do. I could have slammed on my brakes. I could have pulled over, let him pass. I could have, you know, yelled something. I don't know. It's normal. We see it all the time on TV shows and movies. It's normal for the ways of this world. It's normal when we live only for ourselves and only to get our way, then it's normal. But to live a life that follows Christ is that we are no longer living for ourselves, but that everything we do, we must reflect who Christ is. What would Jesus do? You know? Would he slam on his brakes? You know? So to live a reconciled life is that what, what, what Paul is saying is that Jesus has rescued us from having to live the way everybody else lives. Jesus has rescued us from living a selfish life, and now he wants us to live a selfless life. Anytime you are selfish, you are being somebody's enemy. Did you hear that? When you act selfishly and for your own self-interest, in some ways you are being an enemy. We are called to be peacemakers, not enemies of others. Now, two more Bible verses. 1 John chapter 1. 1 John 1, verse 9. Is it verse 9? No. Here it is. Whoever says, I am in the light, which is another way of saying, I have Christ, I am saved, I am, you know, I am going to be a part of that eternal life. So if you say, whoever says, I am in the light, let's say it this way. Whoever says, I am a Christian, while hating a brother or sister, is still in the darkness. So you may say you're a Christian, and you may say that you love Christ, and you may say that he has forgiven your sins, but if you harbor feelings of hatred or disgust or 
whatever it is towards a, a brother or sister or anybody. My brother or sister, it, Paul mean, uh, John means fellow believers. Then you're not living in the light, but you're in the darkness. How many of us have ever seen some sort of television show or movie or read a book and and one and the husband, I'm going to pick on the husbands because that's who I am, and the husband is unfaithful to the wife and she finds out, and what is their first reaction? But I love you. No, you don't. Because you don't do that. See, if we are truly trying to follow Christ, and I know this is hard, by the way. I haven't figured out how to do this. But if we are followers of Christ and if we have said, God, I trust you to lead me in all ways, God is leading you to love well. And God is leading you away from hate. Christ is leading you towards a selfless, giving, generous life as opposed to a life of selfishness where you just want everything and more and more and more. Whoever says, I am in the light, but hates a brother or sister, is still living in the darkness. And so the final text for this morning, 1 John chapter 3, the very same book, just a few chapters over, chapter 3, verse 16. We know, we know love by this, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Do you hear that? Jesus laid his life down for us, and we too must lay our life down for others. I don't know what the, what the conversation was last night, and, um, you know, our 14-year-old comes in and starts telling, you know, Kim he loves her and all this stuff, and and so they go this back and forth, I love you more, I love you more, right? And so then Kim, sorry, I didn't ask if I could share this story, but, and so Kim says, um, I love you more because I would die for you. To which he just stops and kind of grasps the full, fullness of that statement. Now, he didn't repeat it back because I don't, I was 14 years old, probably afraid to die. <laughs> but for Kim, it was so natural, she doesn't even have to think about it. I'm not doing this to puff her up. I'm saying that's what mothers do. And I think God acts like a mother by Christ laying his life down so that you and I would not have to face eternal extinction. Jesus didn't have to think about it. He did it. I think he wrestled with it, and I think the Scriptures show us that he wrestled with it, and it was probably difficult for him, but he does it nonetheless. So with all of this said, this Valentine's Day Sabbath, we are to be people living in the light. A people that live in the light is like a people handing out chocolate. Everybody, almost everybody loves chocolate. Unless you're allergic to it, then we apologize. But everybody likes the sweetness even if you don't like chocolate, even if you don't like sweets, whenever there's a free piece of really good chocolate, you take it because it's a gift. God gives us the greatest gift of all. God continually, yes, they're handing out chocolates. <laughs> God continually 
tries to reconcile us back to Him. Now, He's done it once and for all, but sometimes we just kind of pay mind to God, and so God continually, continually giving us blessings day in and day out because God stops at nothing to show us His love for us. And so I will say it again, and this is a little gesture, a little reminder. People who live in the light are like people handing out free chocolate. Amen.